and welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm a Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me is a returning guest, Abby, Abby Smith. Hey, Carl. Hi, Abby. How are you doing? Pretty good. It's great to be here again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I, last time you were on, you, uh, you were on about the uh, uh, HIV conspiracy, the supposed that HIV does not cause AIDS, or it does cause AIDS, but the drugs are ineffective, the whole rigmarole, right? Yes, and actually on that note, um, I guess a couple weeks ago we actually lost another HIV denier to uh, the complications associated with HIV AIDS. Right, I saw one of your blog posts, right. I, I, if people don't really know, you, you, you do a blog called... Endogenous retrovirus, or for short, ERV. ERV, and sometimes you're you're sort of known in the world as, as ERV, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's see your numda, numda, numda gare. <laughs> All right, cool. And, and full disclosure, I'm a total, you know, fanboy. Remember when you were in the Beatles, kind of? Oh yeah, fan, yeah, fanboy. Yeah. You'll be on the blue blog. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, if it, it, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna throw any hardball questions. I'm just gonna be softballing y'all today. So, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, now, and if I remember, uh, to me, they were the Korean questions, but you said they were also the Oklahoma questions where, uh, you know, well, how old are you? Are you married? What do you do for a living? Do you have children? That sort of thing. So, if I recall, you are, you're kind of in your mid 20s? Yeah, well, late 20s at this late, point. I just late. had a birthday uh, last week. Oh, happy birthday. Did I, did I wish you happy birthday on Facebook? or Probably. The, or the thing is now with the new timeline is that everybody wishes you happy birthday and you don't actually get the little messages. It's just on your timeline. Oh, and then really? you like someone says something funny and clever and you can't respond to that it, like directly. It's just in your timeline. Um, so I actually have to go back and check exactly who... Uh, gave me the the Facebook fist bump oh, <laughs> on my yeah, birthday. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I, I I you know on Facebook I kind of hate that where it's like you know you get like three hundred happy birthdays and I mean yeah. you know whatever I appreciate it but at the same time it's like I, I gotta you know I gotta write thank you notes to like three hundred yes. people and then you feel obligated to wish everybody else a happy birthday on their birthday. Right. It's just it's easier to like fake your death Stress. two two days before your birthday and then like <laughs> oh man all right so um. Let's see now. Uh, oh, so, uh, and then you are, you, you're still single, right? Um, not really. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh are, are you, are you married or you, you have No, a, no. Okay. Okay. All right then. Are you engaged or? Oh. <laughs> Sorry if these questions are too, remember, I am a fanboy, so I'm going to dig, you know. I am, I am currently in a monogamous relationship. Oh, okay. Well, congratulations. All right, then. And, uh, and, uh, and that you, you don't have children, but you've got, uh, got a cute little doggy, right? I do have a puppy, Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, he no. is, uh, sitting in his spot in the front window, uh, he he watches out the front window like it's his television. He loves it. Okay. All right. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. Cool. So. Great. Okay. So I'll get to you. All right. So uh, and, and your your day job, you you are your HIV researcher, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Are you still working on your PhD? I am. Okay. So. so. And hopefully within the next year or so, uh, it will be doctor. Oh, cool. What's your uh, what's your thesis, your dissertation, or what, what's 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 it on? Uh, the main focus is on uh, the evolution of retroviruses, uh, specifically HIV, and uh, some alternative treatment strategies and vaccination prevention strategies that I'm currently exploring. Okay, all right. And, and uh, the reason I had you on is because, um, I mean, if people have been following your blog, you've been covering something called uh, XMRV, right? Yes. Okay, and if I can sort of parse that, RV, retrovirus RV and XM, kind of a non-terrestrial radio virus or something like that? <laughs> it's a, called xenotropic murine retrovirus. Oh, okay. So uh, it is, it, there are a few different kinds of flavor of this retrovirus, so to speak, and one flavor of this murine mouse retrovirus uh, we thought potentially was infecting humans. Okay, right. and, and then uh, that was sort of the cause. Think someone someone proposed it was the cause of uh, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, yes, or at least you know played some sort of uh, significant role in the disease pathology. Okay. Uh, so uh, 
it was an unfortunate scenario where uh, individuals with chronic fatigue syndrome, um, they don't have very many treatment options. Uh, it's one of those things. It's such a uh, catch all disease bin, really, mm-hmm. that uh, really when you say that, uh, you know, this individual with chronic fatigue syndrome has these set of uh, symptoms and responds this way to this set of therapy. It just didn't work that way. Um, So uh, there were a group of laboratories who said that they found this retrovirus, XMRV, um, in the blood of, I guess it was, I've forgotten at this point, was it 67% of individuals with chronic fatigue syndrome? So that would be fantastic uh, that, you know, no longer would this disease be sort of this, you know, kind of catch all waste bin of okay. the diagnosis. But if a retrovirus is involved, then we have an actual test for it. We would have uh, functional treatment options that really have already been worked out with HIV. Um, it basically gave these individuals a lot of hope that they would be regaining some of the function they had uh, previously in their life. And and I'm sure there are no doctors today, but uh, there's maybe a bit of a stigma, like, you know, it's kind of all in your head sort of thing. Uh, Yeah. I mean, um, I'm, I'm not a physician, so I can't really, and I mean, of course I don't see chronic fatigue syndrome patients. I just, I know as much as anybody who's read about it on Wikipedia, really. Um, I was only interested in, this particular disease because of its theoretical association with retroviruses. And I mean, I absolutely love viruses of all kinds and especially retroviruses. So that's what piqued my interest in it. Um, but at the same time, I don't think physicians themselves know very much about this disease. And so when you get someone coming in with kind of these, these vague symptoms that you can't just run a simple diagnostic test to, to tell you yes or no, Um, Or blood work that says, oh, you know, this liver enzyme is high. So, you know, of course, this is going on Um, that physicians. I mean, when when you've run all your tests and it doesn't look like anything's wrong to you, what else really is uh, for them to conclude uh, other than it is in your head? Was it Dr. Novella? He calls them. I think sometimes you refer to like non-specific symptoms, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, tired and yes, lethargy, uh, pain. Um, just, you know, all over achy, difficulty concentrating, um, you know, how that's, that's not like, you know, my arm is broken. <laughs> but yes, yes, yes. So it's a little more complicated uh, to figure out what's going on. And I, I think Dr. Novella, too, he pointed out one time, he's like, you know, people will come in with, I mean, he's a neurologist, and so they run a bunch of tests, and it's like, okay, it's not this horrible disease, mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. this deadly disease, and it's not that deadly disease. And, and instead of people being relieved, people are like, Oh, you know, yeah, they're sort of, they're, they're sort of pissed off, or not, not pissed at off. least that would be an answer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, whereas sort of you know, doctors sort of look at it, but you don't have this awful disease with you know that's terminal. You know, people don't look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 you so, so some labs kind of found they thought they found right. So maybe something specific that there could be a test, and yes, you have this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it was published in science, um, you know, with, with individuals on the paper, authors, uh, who held sway in retrovirology. You know, these weren't, um, you know, nutritionalists that decided to write a paper on retroviruses. I mean, these individuals had the training, uh, and the experience right, to know right. what they were doing. So when this paper came out, I think everybody in the retroviral field was excited, first of all, because, um, I, when you're in this kind of field, you love what you do. And uh, to find out that there's another human retrovirus, uh, we were all pretty excited, uh, not to mention the patients who were also excited at uh, the prospect of having a treatment for their disease. Um, but things quickly turn south okay. <laughs> is one way to put this. And I, and I think, you know, this story of XMRV is an excellent example of the scientific process. Right. Um, so I just for listeners to keep that in mind <laughs> as as we're telling the tale in retrospect, um, because when the when this XMRV connection to chronic fatigue syndrome first came out, you can look on my blog. It's uh, either the first or second uh, post under um, XMRV. 
you know, even even I read this paper and I was totally pumped about it. I mean, there are certain things that I would have done differently. But at the time, at surface value, uh, this was a paper that that most retrovirologists were pumped about, not just, you know, us graduate students, but also the top individuals in our field. Um, But of course, you know, we don't take this finding um, take it for granted and, and go to the next step. We don't immediately start giving patients retrovirals uh, or immediately start testing everybody and blood banks, that sort of thing, for this new human pathogen. You, the next step in the scientific process is not just the discovery, but other people need to be able to replicate your findings and not just replicate, but in the process of replication, contribute something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Let's see, I guess that this paper was released in October and by December uh, and early January of the following year, there were individuals all around the world, scientists all around the world who were trying to replicate the initial findings in their own uh, group of patients. And they were not succeeding. So it's this group said, hey, we found this new retrovirus and then everyone else who looked can't find it. Um, so this, this could have meant a wide variety of things. Uh, for instance, there are viruses that are more prevalent in certain parts of the world, in certain populations, um, geographic locations than other viruses. Mm -hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the viruses that, uh, I started out researching as an undergrad, uh, a Kaposi's sarcoma virus that's associated with uh, lesions in HIV AIDS. Lots of people in Africa are infected with this virus naturally, and it doesn't cause any trouble until you're also infected with HIV and and suffering from AIDS. Whereas in the United States, hardly anyone is infected with this virus. So it could be that the initial findings with the initial group of patients, that they were in fact infected with XMRV, but other patients in other parts of the world, you wouldn't have this uh, viral association because this XMRV virus might not be endemic is what we call it in different populations. Uh, And then another possibility is, you know, everybody um, on the laboratory side of things, we all have our own recipes, our own tricks Mm -hmm. for looking at viruses. Uh, Once you get to the point where you're running clinical diagnostic tests, like what you get uh, tested for in a hospital, that is all standardized and, uh, you know, seal of approval from the FDA, that sort of thing. Right. But what we do in the lab is like, you know, I have my own chili recipe and, <laughs> you know, another another lab in another part of the country has their own preference uh, for chili. And then you go to another part of the world and they're making, you know, spaghetti instead. Uh, but you, you get dinner out of the deal. Okay. So, <laughs> so other labs in other parts of the world were applying uh, what they had used on other viruses to XMRV and they couldn't see it. So it might be that uh, their recipe just wasn't right for finding the virus. Uh, so at that point, we had uh, a couple of options. Um, but as, I'm just going to have to keep saying this. And then things quickly went downhill. Okay. Uh, Things are going to be downhill from here. Okay. And, and in the conspiracy world, that's where it got interesting. Yes. Uh, so we kind of had a problem. <laughs> we like we knew Houston we had a problem mm-hmm. when the first negative papers came out. Okay. Um, because here, here's the deal. In science, we fight. And I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now that you can't see me. Right. Um, <laughs> but we fight all the time about how, oh, um, let's say, for instance, whether HIV is actually infecting dendritic cells, the kind of immune cell, or whether dendritic cells are just catching and carrying the virus uh, to susceptible uh, cell, cellular hosts. So you will have scientists who will just say hateful, hateful, but very scientific and professional, <laughs> in a scientific and professional way about one side of that argument. And then you'll read another paper from people on the other side of the argument, and they're doing the same thing. But we have a very specific way of disagreeing with one another. That is not what happened. Okay. 
So instead of, you know, saying reasonably, well, maybe this is a, uh, you know, assay issue, maybe this is a population issue, um, the lead author on the initial XMRV story immediately accused all of the principal investigators of, on the negative studies um, of fraud, of knowingly manipulating data, of accepting bribes from uh, who knows. Big Pharma. Big Pharma. I, you know, you'd think Big Pharma would want to treat another uh, chronic lifelong illness with drugs. Expen- uh, yeah, expensive retro. Very expensive drugs. Versus aspirin or something. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, and, you know, the, this group of individuals, um, some of them, and, that, and that's what we need to keep in mind, too. And I always have to continually remind myself is that uh, in any group of people, there are fringe individuals uh, that are loud, that have a lot of time on their hands, that make everyone else look bad. And especially in, in the case of chronic fatigue syndrome, you've got individuals who genuinely, you know, cannot function. Mm-hmm. And then you have individuals who spend their lives online Um you know, some of the, some of the individuals I ended up interacting with would just write hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments on message boards or like a wide variety of message boards. And um, any journalist who wrote an article on a topic would, would get, you know, dozens of comments from the same individual um, who obviously have something mentally wrong as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are so primed against any kind of psychological or psychiatric help because they think, oh, chronic fatigue syndrome, it's all in my head, that they go to the opposite extreme where they refuse um, any kind of help when they might need it completely unrelated to their chronic fatigue syndrome uh, uh, symptoms. Um, and I got off on a tangent there. What was I talking about? The lead author. Yeah, so those, those individuals that had a lot of time on their hands uh, immediately um, gathered behind the lead researcher uh, to go around slandering and harassing any of the scientists who published these negative papers. Mm-hmm. No, we're scientists. Like, we aren't used to that kind of, We're used to most people not only not understanding what we do, but ignoring what we do. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, your inbox is full of hate mail. And you're subtly not used to the idea, like someone suggesting, well, maybe when you go between your car and your lab, you should wear this bulletproof vest, you know. Exactly. Um, and, and the problem was, this wasn't just patients doing it on their own. They got this idea from a very specific location, and that was the lead investigator on that initial paper. And all of a sudden, um, everybody on the scientific side was like, what? What exactly are we dealing with here? Because this is not a normal, this is not a normal uh, group of patients. This is not a normal investigator. This is not a normal scientific controversy. Something has gone wrong. And how how wild is this train going to go off the tracks? <laughs> yeah. I mean, as HIV researchers, like mostly the, the fringes reach for the conspiracy, but it's very rare that the lead oh. author immediately go like so what what like the first place and the first place to the media yeah um it's one thing to jokingly say that it's one thing to genuinely believe that uh behind closed doors but you do like i have a whole post on this you do not accuse a scientist of fraud or accepting bribes or any of that crap because you have proof because your career is over right yes um, if you commit fraud in a scientific paper, that is it. Um, if you commit fraud with NIH money, because um, it's, it's well, at least in the U.S., you know, that's government money, you are never going to get another grant again. I mean, it's it. And the scientific process as a whole is founded on this trust that everybody, you know, the research isn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But you do experiments the best you can. You present your data uh, as honestly and clearly as possible. You publish your methods so anybody else can come up behind you and say, oh, that's how they did Like, and can replicate what you did with their own um, spin on it. Um, and that, that's how the scientific process moves forward. That's why I don't have to reinvent um, and redo experiments 
on HIV from 1985 mm. is because I trust the science that was done in 1985. And scientists since then have uh, reproduced and added more to the experiments done in 1985. If we couldn't trust each other, we would be just sitting there doing the same experiment day after day after day. Yeah. So to accuse another scientist uh, of fraud is, I mean, that is just a kick to the nuts. And especially since at this point, what are we, three years, almost three years later, and no evidence has ever surfaced that any of the individuals who could not find the virus were the ones committing fraud. Mm-hmm. Now, why, why the, the, the lead researcher, like, why would she immediately reach, you know, for like play the, you know, vast big pharma conspiracy card? Does anybody have a good idea? No. Um, and I mean, you know, in retrospect, guilty conscience, <laughs> um, you know, uh, the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, sci- scientists are human beings, right? And, sure. and, 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 you know, sometimes the, you know, sometimes the media portrays them as like the mad scientists, but other times they're, they're imbued with like, you know, almost a priest-like status. Like, you know, you know, I, I, Abby, I don't think you ever do anything wrong. You know, you are, you are, you're, a, you're, <laughs> Abby, you're a scientist, you know? And, and, and so, and, and so sometimes it's kind of surprising when like a scientist pulls out a gun and shoots all of her colleagues or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like, like what, hap- what yeah. happened in Huntsville. Yeah, or an astronaut, right? Puts on astronaut diapers yeah. and drives across, the, across country. the country. That yeah. just doesn't compute with the average person. Yeah. Um, and just from a psychological standpoint, um, you can't always understand uh, irrational behavior, especially if you aren't in that particular irrational state of mind yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I I accept behavior as it is and don't try to rationalize it from my perspective, because sometimes it's just not. Um, but in retrospect, yes, I see why that's where uh, the lead author went. Right. Yeah, I mean, if I could even digress a, a little bit. Uh, sure. uh, I mean, Isaac Newton, right? I mean, I mean, scientists kind of would hold up Isaac, even scientists would hold up Isaac Newton as just this, um, you know, ideal scientist who's just this, you know, uh, paragon of logic and rationality. And But, you know, we're kind of finding a lot of his, you know, material where he's, he's kind of nutty and kind of a religious nut. Well, sure. And, you know, scientists, that's one of the fantastic parts about science. You hear about, oh, this guy was a jerk. This guy was an asshole. This lady, oh, she's so mean. Um, It doesn't matter (laughs) in science. You can be an awful, awful, terrible person. You can be the nicest person on the planet. Um, Your personality simply does not matter. Uh, When you are reading a journal article, the science is there. The science should speak for itself. Um, and anyone can make their own conclusions from the data, even if you don't necessarily agree with the conclusions that uh, the author of the papers uh, wrote. Um, so that, that's one of the things I love about science is that, you know, you can have these very strong personalities and they can thrive in uh, science. Whereas, you know, if they try to be in business or if they tried to be in something a little more social, uh, <laughs> they would be very off-putting. Wow. No, no I think it's Christmas time, I'm reading my local newspaper, and there was something about, you know, XMRV and chronic fatigue syndrome, and I'm reading, 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 and there's, and the, there's, there's you in, in the, in the article, and I'm like, at first, I'm like, first, I'm, yeah, first, I'm like, oh yeah, there's Abby, da, da, da. And I'm, oh wait, that, that's Abby! <laughs> <laughs> what, what was, what's, how, how did you, are you like, were you one of the chief critics out there? Are you the one who busted this all open, or what, what was your role in? There were many, many, many scientists who, since the publication of the initial paper, started raising some red flags and started raising questions. Um, and these are individuals, once again, speaking to, you know, the universal language of science. These were people from all over the world who looked at the data in the paper, looked at their data, um, their own data. They looked at data being presented at conferences um, they looked at what other people were presenting and started to understand that this whole story wasn't making sense. Um, I am the only one who had a blog uh, who, and I'm the only one who's a student, honestly, and is in a position to uh, be a little more assertive uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yes. Because, you know, when you're – the lead author um, said some things that she shouldn't have to the media. And we don't – the people on our side, quote, we don't want them doing that either. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as a student, I was a little more free to, uh, like I said, be a little more aggressive mm-hmm. and pursue this more aggressively and bring it to the general public's attention. Right. Or at least, you know, the scientific public that, that likes to read science blogs. Um, and, you know, if you're a lead researcher in the Netherlands, um, you don't have that same kind of platform mm-hmm. that I had to uh, get it out there. So it might appear that I am one of the main critics. Is No, I'm just uh, one of the loudest <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with a bigger audience than the, than the people who uh, really were on the front lines of figuring out the science of what was really going on uh, in the initial paper and in the subsequent papers. Okay. Right. And uh, uh, your sort of your student status, that kind of worked well for you, uh, Behe, um, uh, Mr. Intelligent Design. Yeah. Behe, because you, you kind of – you had some choice words for him. And, and what was kind of funny, too, is he – I mean, he had to kind of – he had to hold back a little bit, right? He couldn't just well, – like, Well, the, the debate – tactics that creationists use um, are targeted towards people like Richard Dawkins, like Christopher Hitchens, like P.Z. Myers, um, older white men um, they could be very aggressive with and the audience didn't care. <laughs> However, when people like Michael Behe or any number of uh, the men, the creationists that I've debated, when they try to be very aggressive with me, they come off looking like assholes. Like <laughs> it, it doesn't work. Um, so to pull this back to XMRV, um, it was funny for me to see that uh, the the defenders of the lead researcher were trying to say that, oh, the people people were only questioning this work and people were um, trying to discredit this work because the lead author is a woman. Mm, yes. OK. And that was particularly funny to me because uh, many of the vocal retrovirologists um, who were themselves targets of uh, some of the fringe members of the chronic fatigue syndrome group are women. Mm-hmm. Uh, the field of retrovirology I've always found is uh, very welcoming to women. Uh, the top people in my field and in retrovirology, there's women there. Uh, so to say that this is a, oh, this is just sexist. You're attacking this researcher because she's a woman and she dared to question book. No. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're attacking the science and there are also women attacking the science. Um, so to break it down into uh, a sexism game, that also didn't work <laughs> for these individuals. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, you know, the, uh, uh, the, uh, um, you know, the people who are suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, the, the whole, uh, maverick scientist, yeah. uh, brave maverick scientist, that, 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 that's always a good, uh, sort of archetype, right? Yeah. Wow. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, now this this paper it was eventually retracted by by. Yes. Well, it was retracted in part initially, um, because one of the individuals on the paper who uh, did a chunk of the work found that some of the samples that he received uh, for testing were contaminated, um, and it happens. We work with DNA, and. We now have the technology to see teeny, 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 tiny quantities of DNA, you know, a a strand of DNA in a swimming pool. (laughs) And so if there's any contamination, we're going to see it and think it's a positive. Um, And so the what his name's Bob Silverman. And what he did was he had actually a very clever trick for contamination. So he was looking for a retrovirus, and he found a retrovirus. Well, uh, we work with these bits of DNA in the lab called plasmids. Um, they're a, a kind of DNA that bacteria treat like Pokemon, like they, they want to collect them all and they trade them with their friends. Right. That, that uh, helps with resistance or something? Yeah, yeah, with antibiotic resistance or uh, just new new tricks that they discover, they share them with their friends. And uh, we use this. Uh, in the lab to create lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of copies of of DNA. Well, 
plasmid always has a gene in it for antibiotic resistance. That's how we select for our bacteria and not just, you know, the bacteria in your gut or spit or in the air. Um, so they didn't just look for the virus. They also looked for the ampicillin resistance and they found it in all of their positive samples. Now, there's absolutely no reason why if you isolated uh, white blood cells from you or me, that there would be an ampicillin resistance gene there. Um, that's that's not natural. It's not something normally found in human DNA. Uh, so they could be very sure that what they initially thought was a retrovirus ended up being plasmid DNA contamination. Okay. So any of the genetic evidence for this virus being a new human pathogen had to be retracted. Um, and absolutely, to his credit, uh, Bob Silverman's lab did just that. They were like, we messed up. We're sorry. No big deal, frankly, um, because this is one of those things that can happen to anybody. Um, you know, you you get really excited about some positive data and you run with it <laughs> and, and you don't really think, oh, maybe it's ampicillin until something goes wrong later. Right. And so that's what they did. They went they on of their own volition. They went back and checked and said, sorry, guys, we messed up. And he made a mistake. I don't think anybody, you know, thinks poorly of him. That's the end of that. Because right. I mean, all, all, all scientists are going to make that mistake. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're, all, you're very close to, as like Stuart Robbins, he's the, uh, the astronomer guy I have on a lot. You know, he says, you know, you're always very close to your work and you're not, you're not noticing mistakes. It's like, I mean, for us non-scientists, you know, if you're just a writer, you know, you write and, 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 and then you think, ah, I've, I, I can't find any mistakes in my writing. And then you hand it to somebody and they find 14 typos, right? Exactly. exactly. Well, yeah. and in this case, you know, this past peer review, this I read this paper and I didn't think of doing this particular control. So it's hard for me to say, oh, Bob Silverman should have looked for this in the first place. Mm -hmm. when I didn't even think of it when I was reading the paper. Um, so it's just one of those things like science is self-correcting. You make a mistake, you go back and fix it. Right. Move on. And that's precisely what he's done. But even if you're like, uh, you know, you think you've discovered something, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt if you just, you passionately defend your work and, and oh, other, yeah. pe other people passionately attack it, right? Like that's how kind Absolutely. of... Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's how you make things better. I mean, uh, when people... Criticism in science is not personal until you say, oh, you manipulated your data, you're accepting bribes, blah, blah, blah. It's not personal at all for... Uh, I mean, scientists can go to a meeting um, and get up with a microphone after someone's presentation and just rip into them. And then a few hours later at the bar, be sitting there drinking, <laughs> talking about what experiments to do to, to answer that question and to, to resolve the whole. That's how we work. It's, it's fun, at least for me. I think that's <laughs> fun when, when people are critical. So, so Bob Silverman, he... he <laughs> Like he, he took his name off the paper or what? what was... He took his whole lab off the paper and okay. all of their contributions. But just because one chunk of the paper was wrong, he couldn't unilaterally retract the entire paper. Okay. And uh, the other lead authors insisted that the rest of their results were sound um, and didn't want to retract. Now, sort of generally that like all the authors have to agree to retract. Is that, is that how? I have no idea. Okay. I mean, this this the whole procedure was very much a learning experience for me and uh, other you know younger scientists that really haven't witnessed or been through anything like this. Uh, so I have no idea, to be honest, whether each and every author needs to have uh, say they're retracting or whether it's just the main authors. I guess uh, we could all look back at you know Andrew Wakefield's mm -hmm. um, papers where everyone took their names off of it except for him. Um, and eventually, I guess that was forcibly retracted. I don't think he ever did that willingly, did he? Okay. No, probably not. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So, so now, so what's the ultimate status? Is the, uh, I mean, who? I mean, other than the 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 uh, you know the people with chronic fatigue syndrome. I mean, it's probably not everybody with CFS, right? That just some people who think it's still a conspiracy oh yeah um well and just just to finish the story yes oh, the entire, the, well yeah the entire paper was ultimately retracted because it was noticed that there were similarities 
um, similarities and differences between a, an identical gel, an identical figure that was supposed to say that, you know, these viral proteins were present. Um, and in the science paper, there was a protocol, like a recipe that said how they made this image. And there was a label that said, you know, this certain, um, th- this is what this lane is, this is what that lane is. Okay. Well, in presentations, there was an entirely different protocol, entirely different patient samples, um, entirely different conclusions were supposed to be drawn from this identical image. Um, and then it was subsequently found that there was this third protocol right. <laughs> with a third label with the third set of conclusions um, that science ultimately found. So the, this paper was published in Science. And the lead editor of that journal, Bruce Alberts, um, once these questions started coming up, um, he asked, you know, the journal to investigate. He asked these scientists for uh, more information about what they did, and apparently they couldn't produce it. Um, and so the problem then there is that uh, these these scientists had been asked several times to uh published very detailed protocols as to what they did. And I think at one point, you know, there were half a dozen versions of what they did. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. <laughs> like, right. yeah. and, and then there were cries of, well, no one's really replicated their experiment. How can you say that um, you can't find this virus if you don't follow the recipe exactly? And the fact of the matter is no one knows what they did because they won't tell us what they did. Right. And if we, if we can't go through those steps and replicate their results, that's their problem at this point, because they, either they don't know what they did or they won't tell us what they did to get those initial findings. Um, and like the, the editor of science was just sick of it. Um, and, and I had never seen anything like this before personally, but he, he forcibly retracted the paper because the lead investigators would not do it. And they would not provide the journal with the information they required. It's it's like you know when your relationship is breaking up and you you know you want to know like why why don't you love me anymore? And the person always every time you ask they have a completely different story. Yeah. And it's sort yeah. of like there there's there's the real story they're not trying to tell me. You know. <laughs> well, I was to the point where it was like you know a, your boyfriend cheats on you and you just you know it. You just want to hear them say, I cheated on you. And I just wanted to hear them say, yes, we did this. We messed up. You know, we we changed the labels on this image. You know, I just wanted to hear them admit it. Right. You know, admit what they did so the field could move on. Um, because it, it really wasn't just that image. Every single image in that paper, there were questions um, that, once again, I didn't raise. Like there were there were other individuals, um, other retrovirus retrovirologists, who raised these questions, which I agreed with. That were simply never answered, and we never got um, plausible <laughs> answers okay. to. Um, so the papers retracted, um, and subsequently, we found that uh, this this quote retrovirus. Well, there are, uh, I don't know, long-term time readers of my blog, but maybe not so many of your readers. A lot of our genome is made of retroviruses. I mean, that's the co- that's the tagline of my blog, ERB. If we're made in God's image, God is made of gag, pol, and om, these three <laughs> retroviral proteins. Well, that's the same for every creature, including mice. And uh, so lots of this stuff, a lot of these ingredients that we use in our recipes in the lab uh, are produced in factories or they're produced in mouse cell lines. Um, they're produced, you know, in areas where you know, mice live. Or you, I mean, mouse DNA is everywhere. And if you don't adequately control for contamination, you're going to think that you find or that you found a new retrovirus when really you only found a million year old endogenous retrovirus in mice. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- other scientists have gone back and looked at reagents um, that they used in the lab, and they found mouse DNA contaminating these reagents. And what's interesting is that the ones that were contaminated were ones that people in the U.S. might use, um, whereas the initial negative studies were done in Europe, where they used different ingredients made by different companies that were not contaminated with mouse DNA. 
Um, and so that really does explain uh, the apparent endemic nature of this retrovirus was not that this virus was infecting people in the U.S. and not Europe, but that it was infecting the reagents that U.S. scientists use and not the reagents of the Europeans. So is this kind of a situation like, well, now we know, now we can look for out for it, you know, other things. Other contamination. Yes. Like we absolutely no one in retrovirology right now. Oh, there's a cat walking by. <laughs> Damn cats. I had to close his front window. Oh, okay. All the stimulation. <laughs> so now he, he's going to stomp around for a minute. Okay. <laughs> So now, now uh, you know, I, I mean, because you write a blog most a lot of times about HIV, so I imagine you kind of have the, um, you know, the HIV deniers coming onto your blog from time to time. So you're used to sort of dealing with some of the wing nuts. Um, how, and that was another actually very good thing about my position is that, first of all, I'm used to the crazies. I'm used to creationist, um, you know, mailing hate mail to the dean of my college. I'm used to the HIV deniers leaving hateful comments um, that really doesn't bother me, whereas it was kind of a new experience <laughs> for mm. uh, other scientists in the field. Um, things definitely, though, <laughs> crossed the line when it came to the chronic fatigue syndrome patients in that uh, they contacted my boss personally. Um, they were sending copious amounts of uh, hate mail to the wrong dean. Uh, and so that was funny when, when my dean met this other dean, he was like, do you all have an Abby Smith? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, we have been getting so much hate mail about her. And he's like, oh, God, what's she done now? Um, <laughs> but luckily, you know, again, I am a student, and uh, the University of Oklahoma does not want to be uh, a university that declares they're going to start nannying um, the, the free speech of their students. Um, that's not a very good precedent for any university to set. Um, and, yeah, so so they just sort of shrugged, and um, the people who sent the hate mail just sort of you know, scared the secretaries more than it ever affected me. Oh, okay. But, but that that is something definitely new uh, to go after. You know, my employer like that instead of just me. Is the hate mail is it tapered off or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think everybody's dude. <laughs> we would need another like five hours to explain the drama that has gone along with this research. Um, <laughs> So, yes, the institute that initially found this connection is called the Whitmore-Peterson Institute. And uh, they hired this lady, Judy Makovitz, I can't pronounce her last name, to be their lead researcher. And um, not only has Makovitz been going around and saying some very anti-science, anti-vaccine, she's been speaking at anti-vax conferences. Oh, great right alongside with people who, you know, think magic potions are going to cure their kids of autism. Like they've been partner partnering with these individuals. Um, and then before I ever published anything about uh, the duplication of figures, um, Makovitz was fired from the Whitmore Peterson Institute, um, apparently uh, due to personal conflicts, which I'm sure we'll never know the extent of, um, because, you know, one side says one thing, one side mm -hmm. says the other. So she got fired. Okay, whatever. Well, apparently she took all of her lab notebooks. Well, she didn't just take the lab notebooks. She had a graduate student who, um, you know, the relationship between a principal investigator and a graduate student. Um, I spend more time with my boss than either one of us spends, you know, with our significant others Um and just the dedication and uh, the relationship you have is very intense. <laughs> and it's for years. I mean, I have been doing research with my boss longer than I've had any other relationship. And so this student of Judy's, I guess, was brainwashed or something. He snuck in uh, the middle of the night to steal uh, all the lab notebooks associated with this research, a few computers, jump drives. Wow. And then Judy skipped town 
with this stuff, was hiding on a houseboat. Um, and, of course, you know, the Institute noticed that all of this stuff was gone. And, you know, they got a judge to say, hey, you know, you've got this stuff and you took it, you know, with, without permission. Like, you're not supposed to have this stuff. You've got to bring it back. Judy says, no, uh, <laughs> she apparently wiped the hard drives of the computers. Um, and I don't believe to this date that all of the laboratory notebooks have been returned. I'm assuming the ones that aren't returned are at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. Um, and so Judy was arrested for, you know, contempt of court and uh, was taken from California back to Nevada where the Institute was. And so a judge there uh, ruled, you know, universally towards the Institute because judges don't take kindly to uh, people flagrantly um, ignoring, you know, their verdicts like that. Mm -hmm. Well, then it turns out <laughs> that uh, that judge had taken uh, over $10,000 worth of uh, donations from the head of the Institute. And so he had to recuse himself because oh. he had financial interest. Well, apparently the next, like, three judges had to recuse themselves because of connections to uh, the owners of this institute. And so finally they've got this other one. And, you know, that's going to move forward. In the meantime, the, the heads of this institute uh, are being sued for millions of dollars that they say, you know, they've been accused of stealing this money from uh, business partners. They're uh, being investigated by the FBI for illegal campaign donations. All the scientists were looking at this like, what the hell is going on? This is this is like a soap opera. This is like <laughs> like just at this point, all of us are just like go away. Mm -hmm. Like we want to go back to what we were doing in September of 2009 and pretend this didn't happen. Um, except for the fact, you know, it did happen. So we've got patients out there who, to this day, are taking antiretrovirals because uh, they took a test offered by this company. Again, no no certification uh, by the FDA, no evidence at all that this retrovirus was a genuine infectious agent. This company was selling tests to patients um, to say, you know, oh, you're XMRV positive. Um, so now these people genuinely believe that they're infected with the retrovirus and are taking antiretrovirals uh, that do not have uh, nice side effects, one way to put it. Yeah, yeah. These are hard drugs. Because viruses need to hijack the, the host proteins to work. I mean, uh, that's what they are. They're parasites. And so when you're attacking a retrovirus, you're attacking self. You're interfering with normal cellular activities. And some of these people are just so convinced that um, they won't stop taking them. I There's one MD who was just cuckoo bananas um, who is experimenting with antiretrovirals, like casually, just, you know, taking them now and then, switching them to whatever. If you read the protocols for how physicians prescribe antiretrovirals for HIV patients, I mean, it is it is a process. It is not something you go, oh, hey, you know, I'll take an Advil today. I'll take an Aleve tomorrow. Um, you can't like if you're actually infected with a retrovirus, taking drugs casually like that is a guaranteed way to uh, get antiretroviral failure, mm. meaning you can't take anything um, because the virus is resistant to it. Um, so what, is it what, what is it with like, um, you know, like if a doctor says, you know, uh, you, okay, you know, you got to take these, these medications, it's going to have horrible side effects. Uh, then, you know, the alt med crowd goes, Dolly wants to pump you full of toxins. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like chelation therapy. But yeah. then if, if some, you know, alt med doc says, I want to pump you full of these toxic chemicals. And, or antibiotics. And, yeah. With, with, and, and, you yeah. know, the chronic Lyme crew. Yeah. And, but the medical establishment doesn't want, doesn't say yeah. says no. You know, people are like, yeah, pump me full of the toxic chemicals. Like, it, it there's there's no there's no logic. No, um, but I, I mean, I don't think logic is this. These individuals' forte, which is why they're in the position they're in in the first place. Uh, but just to be clear, she's not only um, taking antiretroviral; she's got a whole host of uh, alternative 
like the what's that the hyperbaric oxygen thing oh. she just did a huge ad for them um it, it's it's ridiculous and it is painful for me to watch as uh, a retrovirologist to see people taking these medications you think there's big money in this in 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 what in in in, in, you know, in, in what she's doing you know it's like hey well on the bright side um there is hopefully going to be uh, an end <laughs> to this journey in that uh, a, the NIH has basically given Judy a lab bench um, and is saying, replicate your research or else. Okay. And it's her doing it. No one else is involved. She can't say, oh, you didn't do this, didn't do that. It's her. And... They're hoping that this will put an end to it with the public. Um, but, you know, at this point, it's so overwhelmingly convincing um, that, uh, you know, XMRV is not a human pathogen from a scientific perspective. I'm not sure what else we can say to the public to, to get them to believe that as well. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, maybe we should, should, should wrap up. Um, you... But when I when I we were talking today about you know what, what, when we're going to do the show mm-hmm. and stuff like that and you're you're like you said uh, well I'm going to come back you know I'm going to come uh, we'll do it after I come back from the gym you you, you go to the gym oh yeah okay How, what, what do you what do you what's your workout routine well right now very recently uh, I guess it was last fall this, this taken, is just a fanboy question oh yes I have actually taken up kung fu wow um, I am a martial arts collector if you've named it you name it I've tried it. Um, and uh, recently had the opportunity to uh, take classes from uh, a really cool guy that uh, is not a he's not a bullshitter. He's not a chi. You know what? He's very practical. You know, if you're in a bar and someone comes at you with a bottle, this is what you do. Uh, sort of instructor um, that, you know, I really enjoy it. And I would say, you know, my favorite martial art is whatever I'm doing right now. So right now, Kung Fu is like totally my favorite. Oh, it's so much better than all that stuff I've done before. Um, but if, if I go back to something else I've done before, I'm like, oh, I forgot how awesome this is. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I, I really love uh, collecting martial arts. <laughs> you know, I, I, I took fencing for a while, and, 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 I, and then someone described it as a martial art. And I'm like, it, well. It totally is. Um, I, a lot of the stances, you look, look at uh, Bruce Lee movies. And watch, you know, how he advances and stuff. He he took that from fencing. Oh, okay. But but I'm thinking, okay, I, okay. Someone comes at me with a, you know, with a car antenna or something. Then I know what to do. And I happen to have a car antenna. And yeah. I know what. <laughs> or to a do. Harry Potter magic wand that is not magic, <laughs> so they can only use it as a, as a <laughs> instrument. Yeah. But beyond, and I thought maybe well, I could maybe I could take saber, and that way, if you know, someone comes at me with a baseball bat, then maybe I know. I can, you know, block a baseball bat, <laughs> but I didn't think it was much of a martial art, but man. All right. So I'll ask you the final, I think the last time you're on the final question was, um, what's your favorite small kitchen appliance? I, I have changed it since. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, now my final question is, um, if, if you had to join a science fiction or fantasy armed forces based solely on the uniform, the, how cool the uniform is. Which, which, uh, which science fiction or fantasy armed forces would you enlist in? Just because, man, you just love the cut of the uniform. Well, the, well, the books and stuff, though, you're kind of reading it in your head, though. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking like TV or movies or something. TV so. ones. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, what, what sci-fi? F- that's a hard one. That's like that's not kitchen appliances. You've gone from shoot. I'll take another five hours. <laughs> I genuinely don't know. Really? Okay. Yeah. I will have to get back to you on that. You know, when you post this, you're going to have to put it in the in the like descriptor. So we right. finally figure out an answer to the last question. Okay. Well, next next time I have you on the podcast. Sure. Well, yeah. Okay. You just that'll be the first question. Yeah. All right. There's, there's other. Uh, uh, news in the viral world that we could totally talk about uh, if you're a conspiracy skeptic show. Oh, oh yeah. I wanted to get a bit into about the whole, uh, um, you know, oh, my God, they're making a killer flu in the lab. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you were kind of like, ah, oh, chill out. But uh, we're, we're 
kind of going long here. Um, we, we can we can tackle that kind of another. Yeah, that'll just be a teaser for next time. Yeah, that, Killer flu. Killer. If you only knew what scientists are doing every day in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. So so true. Right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. I mean, and do you have anything to plug now? You did a little uh, debate with a creationist guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His name's Steve Kern. He is the uh, husband of infamous Sally Kern. You just need to Google her to figure out why she's infamous. Um, he is a pastor, preacher, reverend, whatever they call themselves, um, of a large evangelical church here in Oklahoma City. Um, and we debated the topic of uh, should intelligent design be taught in public school classrooms uh, to what I thought were rather hilarious uh, ends. If, you, if you'd like to see that on YouTube, you can just probably Google uh, Abby Smith, Steve Kern. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll post I'll post a link. Yes, yes. Right, and uh, you have anything else to plug? Are you going are you going to? Tam, going to the amazing meeting, or well, actually, uh, I like to stay local. Um, at least you know where I'm speaking. Uh, so the next conference is going to be Free OK, uh, and it's Free OK two this year. Um, and I am going to be speaking about, uh, you know, how I what's that movie title? How I how I learned to stop stop fearing viruses. Um, okay. And ex- Viruses of the past, viruses that the public uh, knows about, are ones that kill us, the ones that make us sick. And there are these, you know, invisible specters that you really can't protect yourself from, and we don't have very good uh, therapeutics for. They're scary. <laughs> when the fact of the matter is, the vast majority of organisms on this planet are viruses. They don't do us any harm. And what we're finding now is that we can domesticate these wild viruses to our own means. And so I'm going to be speaking about uh, some of the ways we're doing that uh, to cure diseases, uh, treat diseases. Um, you know, currently I'm using HIV in the lab to treat HIV. Um, so it's looking at it that, yes, you can be killed by a pack of wolves. Mm-hmm. But we've also domesticated dogs to sniff for bombs, to sniff for cancer, hmm. to guide the blind. Um, and that's really what we're, we're doing with viruses these days. Okay, cool. All right. And uh oh, I always have to point out that I'm I'm the podcast that wants nothing. I don't want I don't want a PayPal donations. I don't want <laughs> don't, don't go to iTunes and give me but if people happen to listen to this podcast and and then meet you, Abby, in public and they're like, Abby, could I buy you uh do you drink? Could they buy you a beer? What kind of beverage could they buy you if they're like, I loved you on the Conspiracy Skeptic podcast. Let me buy you a beer. I will very rarely uh, drink alcohol. Like, you know, I'll have a beer every now and then, but I'm not, you know, a beer drinker by any means. Um, but I'm a huge fan of Mountain Dew and all the <laughs> cornucopia flavors of Mountain Dew. Um, I have not met a Mountain Dew that I haven't enjoyed. So <laughs> gifts of Mountain Dew, gifts of chocolate, <laughs> those are always welcome. Dark, darker milk chocolate. I like chocolate, so... <laughs> Full stop. Okay. Mixed with things, uh, melted, just like a huge brick of it. Um, if it's chocolate, I'm a fan. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. So if you want to contribute to Conspiracy Skeptic, then buy Abby Mountain Dew or chocolate. Or I, I guess to Monster Talk, they take donations. That's a great podcast. Donate to Monster Talk. Yeah. Okay, all right, then, Abby, I'll, I'll let you go. Well, thanks for having me. It's fun as always. We'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, I would love to. Okay. Right, and have a good night, then. Oh, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You should have seen by the look in my eyes. Something missing You should have known By the tone of my voice Maybe But you didn't listen We shall begin Okay Alright, good And welcome back to a (coughs) Sorry uh, one day I'm going to do a mama cast and something, the you know, chicken's going to go down the wrong way and <laughs> 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 I just swallowed a bit of juice. All right.
Let's try that again. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely no one in retro virology right now. Oh, there's a cat walking by. <laughs> Damn cats. My dog got booped on the nose by a cat when oh, he was no. puppy. Oh no. So now anytime he sees cats, he like he goes back to that very dark place in his puppy life. <laughs>